welcome. You are listening to Aftersight. This recording is intended solely for individuals who are blind or have low vision. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of February 1st, 2024. My name is Gregory Haddock. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. Vikings Descend on Golden for Annual Old Grass Festival by Corinne Westerman for the Jeffco Transcript. Parking Management Company to take over downtown Golden this spring. City Discussing Daily Enforcement Increased Parking Rates by Corinne Westerman for the Golden Transcript. Five Ways to Protect Yourself from Viruses This Winter by Nina Joss for the Canyon Courier. Arvada Crime Brief's car crashes into Safeway. Arvada Crime Brief's bounty hunter's car crashes into Safeway. Sergeant Nelson is not calling you. Man making purchases with counterfeit bills is not, quote, a fugitive recovery agent by Riley Dunn for, for the Arvada Press. And following up with various articles. Vikings Descend on Golden for Annual Uller Grass Festival by Corinne Westman. The festival might be named for the Norse god of winter, but Uller apparently took the weekend off to enjoy the beer, music, and camaraderie at Golden's Parfit Park. Over the January 26th through 28th weekend, thousands enjoyed the sunny weather and 50-degree temps at the annual Uller Grass Festival. Many attendees donned Vikings-style clothing, helmets, and bushy beards for the occasion. The event, which started in 2015, brings breweries and bluegrass bands together every winter. The weather has been delivered on its namesake in the past, including last year's snowstorm that forced attendees to move into a heated tent. But this year's attendees made the most of the mild weather with juggling, a costume contest, and other fun activities. Parking management company to take over downtown Golden this spring. City discussing daily enforcement. Increased parking rates by Corinne Westerman. If all goes as Golden officials hope, parking downtown will get a little easier this spring. The city has drafted a contract with Interstate Parking Company of Colorado to manage all its downtown parking spots, enforcement permits, and related operations. The city council will vote on the contract at its February 13th meeting, and if approved, Interstate Parking will take over downtown operations April 1st. The contract period is set for three years, and counselors will receive regular updates to review performance, city staff confirmed. In mid-October, Golden sent out a request for proposals and received six responses. Five of them were fee-based, but Interstate Parking offered a revenue-sharing model. The Denver-based company manages parking for several Colorado municipalities, including Morrison and Idaho Springs, where it has similar revenue-sharing agreements. 
Interstate parking also demonstrated the most flexibility and responsiveness to Golden's needs, staff members described at a January 23rd City Council work session. Under the proposed contract, the city will receive the first $250,000 in annual revenues from paid parking, permits, and enforcement. After that, the city and the company will split revenues 50-50. Meanwhile, interstate parking is responsible for all related expenses, such as installing new kiosks, employing parking ambassadors, etc., Steve Glick, assistant to the city manager, emphasized how the proposed contract would ensure similarly or more revenues while reducing city expenses and alleviating several problems simultaneously. For instance, by hiring an outside company for parking enforcement, city personnel will be free to address other issues like code violations along the Clear Creek Corridor, Gluick said, and city manager Scott Vargo have said. Also, as Gluick has said before, Golden's current parking system is cobbled together with different systems and vendors, so having everything under the interstate parking umbrella should be easier for users, he said. Golden officials have heard frequent complaints about residents having to re-register their vehicles every time they park downtown but they should only have to do so once under interstate parking. Additionally, the city and interstate parking plan to offer free two-hour downtown parking to any Golden resident registered in the parking system. After the two free hours, residents could then purchase additional time as needed. Gluck emphasized that residents would have to be registered with interstate parking to access this new benefit. Increasing enforcement prices. While these details haven't been finalized, city officials have discussed expanding downtown's parking enforcement from weekdays only to every day. City staff stated in a January 4th memo that this would, quote, ensure management and operational consistency with the 10th Street corridor, as downtown Golden grows more popular. Principal planner Matt Wimp clarified in an email that if city council approves it, Two-hour free parking and paid parking throughout downtown would be enforced from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. Additionally, because much of the city's parking regulations and costs haven't been updated since 2017, WIMP and other staff members have recommended increasing fines and parking rates. The current rates are $2 an hour after the first two hours, with a daily maximum of $8 a day. To adjust for inflation and increased expenses, staff has recommended increasing parking rates to $2.50 an hour after the first two hours with a daily maximum of $10. Wemp said these details and others would be decided at the February 13th meeting. During the January 23rd work session, Mirabi recommended the city have some kind of grace period as people get used to the new system. How long it lasts would be up to the counselors, but he suggested, quote, at least a few days of warnings for people to get used to the new system. For residential and employee parking permits, Murby believed the current ones would be transferred to interstate parking system and it would be responsible for issuing new ones and reissuing updated ones. Overall, he believed interstate parking would be very accommodating and responsive to the needs of residents and other users such as issuing guest parking passes and expanding enforcement for holidays and events.
Five Ways to Protect Yourself from Viruses This Winter by Nina Joss. This time of year, it seems like just about everyone comes down with some kind of illness. From sore throats to stomach bugs, the winter always seems to come with a vengeance of viruses. Dr. Ming Wu, family medicine physician in Advent Health, Littleton has seen a dramatic uptick in viral illnesses in recent weeks. Flu, COVID, I definitely have positive cases in my clinic, he said. But beyond that, just viral illnesses that can't be identified. Wu said there are millions of viruses, but doctors tend to only test for a handful of specific ones. With viral illnesses generally rising among patients in the winter months, Wu said there are steps you can take to strengthen your immune system. Although it's hard to entirely prevent illnesses, these tips can give you a better chance of fighting off infection. Wash your hands. Wu said practicing self-hygiene by washing your hands is one of the best ways to prevent getting a viral illness. Viruses are spread through airborne particles, sneezing, coughing, those kinds of things, Wu said. Touching a surface exposes you to all of those particles, viral particles. For a virus to infect a person, it needs to contact a mucous membrane, Wu said, such as your mouth, nose, or eyes. If you touch a surface, then, then you eat a piece of food or you brush your nose. Anything like that, it exposes those viral particles to the mucous membranes, he said. If you're able to wash your hands, keep your hands clean. You're not exposing yourself. Keep your distance from sick people. Although many people associate the term social distancing with COVID, Wu said this practice can help a person stay healthy no matter what viruses at play. If someone sneezes in your face, you have a higher likelihood of getting sick than if you're six feet away and someone sneezes, he said. He said that people who are sick can help protect their community by wearing a mask, even if they do not have COVID. Although it is not as common in the United States, Wu said, when masking when is when sick is part of the social contract in many other places of the world. Quotes, if you are sick and you wear a mask, you are protecting your neighbors, he said. You are helping prevent the spread of illness in the community. Health experts also often recommend that people should stay home if they are able to avoid infecting others while ill. Get rest. To keep your immune system strong, rest is crucial, Wu said. Proper sleep and rest allow your immune system to kind of recover from the day, he said, by giving it time to replenish white blood cells to recharge the immune system. He said lack of sleep puts your body under stress, which can weaken your immune system. Stress has been shown to prevent your immune system from working as well, he said. If you're exposed to a virus, it is more likely you will get sick because your immune system is not as strong as it could be. Drink water. Staying hydrated is another important way to keep your body strong to fight illness, Wu said. Think of water as the highway that allows everything to travel, he said. If you are not properly hydrated, your immune system cannot travel to the places it needs to go. Water carries blood cells and elements of the lymphatic system throughout your body, Wu said. He said many physicians recommend drinking 8 to 10 glasses or 64 to 80 ounces of water per day. But more important than following strict number guidelines, Wu said, people should listen to their bodies and drink water when they are thirsty.
eat a balanced, healthy diet. Although there are no individual foods that have every nutrient, Wu said it is important to eat a balanced, healthy diet that provides all of the nutrients your body needs. Vitamin C, which is found in grapefruit, oranges, broccoli, strawberries, and kale, enhances the immune system and is an antioxidant. Wu said some studies have shown that very high doses of vitamin C can help improve and shorten viral symptoms. Vitamin A, an inflammatory anti-inflammatory substance that helps antibodies respond to viruses, can be found in carrots and spinach, he said. Wu said vitamin D can help strengthen the immune system. Going outside and getting sunlight, 15 minutes of sunlight three times weekly, your body can produce the vitamin D that it needs, he said. But believe it or not, here in Colorado, vitamin D is actually chronically low. I've seen a lot in my patients. In addition to spending time in the sun, people can also consume salmon, fortified milk, mushrooms, or vitamin D supplements to boost their levels. Beyond vitamins, Wu said some studies have shown that probiotics can help stimulate the immune system and promote the good bacteria in the gut. In doing so, probiotics can help with nutrient absorption, Wu said. Specifically, a probiotic called Lactobacillus casei has been shown to reduce the number of days a person is sick. You can get that through yogurt, kombucha, live culture cheese, or taking a probiotic pill, he said. A lot of vitamins and minerals that are required for proper immune function can be found in various foods, but no one, no one food has them all. That's why, Wu said, it's important to make sure you are consuming a variety of healthy foods and staying away from processed foods when possible. Quote, eating the healthier foods will be more beneficial, he said. I know in our day and age that is sometimes difficult with our running around trying to do what we can, but just doing what you can when you can is always more beneficial than not. Arvada Crime Briefs Bounty Hunters Car crashes into Safeway. Sergeant Nelson is not calling you. Man, making purchases with counterfeit bills is not, quote, a fugitive recovery agent by Riley Dunn. A man posing as a fugitive recovery agent is actually a fugitive himself, according to the Arvada Police Department. Arvada police are looking for a man in his 60s or 70s making small purchases with fake $100 bills at businesses around town since September 2023. Sometimes the man identifies himself as a law enforcement agent looking for a wanted person. It is he, in fact, who is wanted. The man has been seen wearing a black tactical vest with fugitive recovery agent markings and a neck badge, as well as handcuffs and possibly a firearm. He's reported to have white hair and a thin build. Police believe the man is working with a younger white female accomplice with long brown hair and tattoos on her right leg. The pair have been seen leaving businesses in a silver 2002-2007 Buick Rendezvous with a temporary license plate. Anyone with information pertaining to the phony bounty hunter may contact Detective Dwayne Eaton at 720-898-6757 or duane at arvada.org. He is a real law enforcement officer. Watch out for that car. 
Around noon on January 20th, the Safeway at 7561 80th Avenue got an unexpected visitor, a white Honda Accord. The driver mistook the gas pedal for the brake and struck a vehicle in the grocery store's parking lot before crashing through the front doors of the Safeway, according to police reports. There were no injuries in the crash, and the building was found to be structurally secure. The driver was cited for careless driving. More fake cops. The bounty hunter is not the only, the quote, bounty hunter is not the only person in Arvada impersonating a police officer. A scammer has been impersonating APD Sergeant Ryan Nelson, trying to defraud people out of cash. The scammer, who uses the phone number 720-593-6673, asks folks for money to, quote, take care of a warrant. No one from Arvada police will call and ask for money, according to APD. A tale of two robberies. Two unrelated robberies committed by as-of-yet unidentified suspects occurred between January 17th and 21st. The first happened around 10.43 p.m. January 17th on the 5100 block of 64th Avenue when two suspects entered a business and pulled a knife on the employee working before fleeing in a vehicle. Mountain View Police located the suspect vehicle after it crashed at the intersection of 41st Street and Tennyson Street. At that point, a female suspect was taken into custody, but a male suspect fled on foot, according to the police report. After an extensive search by members of Denver Police, Mountain View Police, and Arvada Police, the male suspect was not located. APD is still investigating the case. Another robbery occurred around 1 p.m. on January 21st in the 6300 block of Sheridan Boulevard. Two suspects entered the business to buy cigarettes. When the employees set them on the counter, a suspect pulled a gun on the employee, took the cigarettes off the counter, and the pair fled. Neither suspects have been identified. Crime data. In the week of January 15th to 21st, 209 traffic stops were made, with 109 drivers cited. 35 arrests were made, with 28 individuals taken into custody and 7 released on summons. Of the 126 crime reports, there were 7 motor vehicle thefts, 9 shoplifting incidents, 9 vandalism incidents, 4 cases of fraud, 6 drug offenses, and 7 DUIs. Lakewood City Council approves water and sewer rate hikes and other fees for 2024 by Joe Davis. The rising cost of living in Lakewood now includes a few increases that the City Council recently approved. Lakewood Water Utility and Lakewood Sewer Utility customers will see higher rates in 2024. The Council also approved fees for vacant property owners along with new registrations regulations. According to City Engineer Ray Hill, Lakewood Water Utility has been anticipating a 5.2% rate hike since 2021. Quote, the increase was given to us by Denver Water, Hill said. The utility gets water from Denver Water, Hill said. Denver Water passed the increase on the customer. The increase overall 
flow follows a study that was provided in 2021 by one of our consultants, Hill said. Then they looked at our utility comprehensively and recommended that the increase be at that level for 2024. All parties agreed that the increase was appropriate. According to Hill, payments to Denver Water account for 75% of the utility's expenditures. Hill did highlight improvements that will take place in 2024, such as replacing meters throughout the utility's system and water system improvements along West Colfax between Pierce and Sheridan. All of those projects will be covered by the new increase. The increase will show up on May 2024 bills. A typical family customer can expect about a $4.03 increase on that bill, according to Hill. According to Hill's presentation on the rate hike, Lakewood Water Utility provides water for about 800 residents in the northeastern part of town. 20 other utilities provide water to the rest of the city. For more information and a complete list of rate increases for Lakewood Water Utility, check out Ray Hill's Water Rates presentation on the city's YouTube page. Lakewood Sewer Utility will see a rate increase in 2024 as well. The increase is primarily for operational costs incurred by the Metro Water Recovery District for the cost of treating wastewater, Hill explained. According to Hill's presentation on the sewer utility rate hike, the wastewater for 7,000 customers flows into city water mains. Those mains are operated and maintained by Denver Metro Water Recovery District, which also treats that wastewater. About 64% of the cost of operating the sewer utility goes to Metro Water, according to Hill. He said customers can expect about a $6 rate hike on each bill. The increase will appear on April 2024 sewer bills. To get more information on the complete list of rate increases, check out Hill's sewer rates presentation on the city's YouTube page. Other rates and changes approved were for non-residential property owners. If the property in Lakewood is vacant for more than 30 days, it becomes subject to the vacant property ordinance approved in 2023. According to that ordinance, Chapter 15.03 of the Lakewood Municipal Code, vacant non-residential properties must be registered every six months by the owners. A fee of $700 accompanies every registration. The resolution also establishes an $800 fee for any emergency calls that the police and other emergency services have to make to the property. Quote, so this is above and beyond any fines that they get assigned through the legal system for violations of law, said city planner Travis Parker. This was specifically designed to make the city whole for costs incurred by continuous service responses to vacant properties, which tends to be a problem. Councilor David Raines noted that separate fees for vacant residential properties will be addressed by the council later in 2024. For more information on the Lakewood City Council meeting, visit lakewoodspeaks.org. Local Voices Revisit a critical historical moment at Wings Over the Rockies. Coming Attractions by Clark Reader When people think of the Cold War, images of nuclear bombs and covert spies are probably among the first images that come to mind. But for Stuart Bailey, collections manager at Wings Over the Rockies Museum, there's something else he likes to focus on. 
The first battle of the Cold War was won by the Western Allies and was won with airplanes, he said. Not only that, but those airplanes didn't have guns or bombs. Instead, for 11 months, the Allies worked to support a city of 2.6 million people entirely by air. End quote. The story of that battle is told in the Air and Space Museum's 7711 East Academy Boulevard in Denver new exhibit, The Berlin Airlift, Supplies from the Sky. The exhibition runs through Monday, May 27th and marks the 75th anniversary of the airlift. The exhibit tells the story of the nearly year-long effort by the United States, Britain, and other countries to keep the people of Berlin alive during the Berlin blockade when the Soviet Union blocked the Western Allies' railway, road, and canal access to the sectors of Berlin under Western control. At the beginning, the Allies were using any kind of plane that could handle cargo, and there were some accidents and a lot of confusion, Bailey said. Eventually, it got better, and the efforts were extremely efficient. There were planes coming in with materials like coal, on average, of every three minutes, end quote. The creation of the exhibit is largely due to donations from two families who had members who participated in the airlift, including Denver resident Thomas Moss, who was a C-54 pilot during the events. His daughters, Barbara Drury and Linda Lewis, donated many of their father's artifacts to the museum, and that provided the backbone for the stories told in the display. Quote, This exhibit isn't so much about the planes and technologies, it is about the people and the human experience of what they went through, Bailey said. I think it's powerful because it shows how people's opinions can change. We went from years of fighting the Germans to helping them, and Germans went through years of fearing the sound of Allied planes to finding hope in it. As well as donated artifacts, the exhibit features a lot of photos and creative set dressing to give just a taste of what being in bombed-out Berlin would be like. The aim was also to make it interactive for all ages, so it includes activities like weights, balance exercises, and more. In addition to learning more about a historical event that many people believe might not be aware of, Bailey hopes visitors come away with a greater appreciation of the many ways the Berlin airlift influenced the ensuing decades. One of the key takeaways from the exhibit is that freedom is something to be valued and supported, he said. In many ways, the airlift still echoes through our world today. Tickets and details can be found at wingsmuseum.org. LSO uses Peter and the Wolf to enchant young audiences. Get ready for some family fun at the Lakewood Symphony Orchestra's annual children's and family concert, which will be held at 11 a.m. on Saturday, February 3rd at the Lakewood Cultural Center, 470 South Allison Parkway. Not only will it feature Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, as it does every year, but also, quote, add story and play, where the audience will create a story with several characters, develop a plot, and choose music to go along with the story. Then the narrator, Joe Hillen from CBS4, will tell the brand new story while conductor Matthew Switzer leads the orchestra, performing the music an audience has chosen to go along with the story. Information and tickets can be found at lakewoodsymphony.org. Sink into Walker Fine Arts Nomadic Daydreams. 
There are few times during the year when the relationship between man and nature is rich and nuanced, and it is during winter. This makes it the perfect time for the opening of Walker Fine Arts 300 West 11th Avenue, number A in Denver, first exhibition of 2024, Nomadic Daydreams. The group show runs through Saturday, March 16th, and features the works of Angela Beloen, Derek Bridenthal, George Cosman, Bonnie Lodka, and Ben Strawn. According to provided information, the artists use two-dimensional mediums like oil, photography, drawing, to explore the all-important interactions between man and nature. Find all the details at walkerfineart.com. And Clark's concert of the week, Lydia Loveless at Globe Hall. Lydia Loveless, who hails from Columbus, Ohio, is a songwriter's songwriter. Over their career, they've delved deep into the rather nebulous alt-country world. And in 2023, they released Nothing's Gonna Stand in My Way again. As usual, it's an astounding collection of songs chronicling a breakup and the struggle to find a way to move forward in a difficult world. In support of the record, Loveless will be performing at the Globe Hall 4483 Logan Street in Denver at 8 p.m. on Saturday, February 3rd. They will be joined by singer-songwriter Jason Hawk Harrison, alt-country up-and-comer Cousin Curtis. Get tickets for the concert at GlobeHall.com. Clark Reader is an arts and entertainment columnist for Colorado Community Media. He can be reached at Clark with an E dot reader at Hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News. My name is Gregory Haddock. Thank you for joining us for Denver Metro News. My name is Dave Dell. Today, I'll be reading articles from the Denver Voice, Denverite, and Westward. From the Denver Voice, I'll be reading Lived Experience Fuels Compassionate Recovery Care by Giles Clayson. From Denverite, I'll be reading Jane Fonda Visited El Rio Swansea to Talk Pollution and Politics by Kevin Beattie. And This Jefferson Park Office Building Near Mile High Stadium Could Be Turned into 12 Stories of Apartments by Kyle Harris. From Westward, I'll be reading Paul Lundeen Every Day, A Step Toward Bipartisanship and Levity at the Colorado Capitol by Hannah Metzger. And Wheel Deal, artist Pat Milbury shows off seven mural portals in Denver by Benito El Kelty. I'll finish up the hour with other articles from Westward. This first article is from the Denver Voice. Lived Experience Fuels Compassionate Recovery Care by Giles Clayson Sally Gibbons remembers her most frightening overdose. She'd been using heroin and other drugs for years and overdosed a handful of times. Unmoved by those experiences, she refused to change the trajectory of her life. But that changed in 2015. Gibbons had just picked up her friend Natalie and parked in a bowling alley parking lot in downtown Duluth, Minnesota. Gibbons felt sick. It had been nearly a day and a half since she last scored her drug of choice. Now she was in the earliest phases of heroin withdrawal. Natalie shot up first. Her eyes rolled to the back of her head and she slumped moments after pushing the drug into her vein. Then her breathing slowed. Gibbons recognized immediately that Natalie had overdosed 
and her friend's only chance of surviving was to get to a hospital as quickly as possible. But she delayed making the trip to the hospital. She needed to get high first. According to Gibbons, she thought to herself, I'm too sick to drive. I'm going to do less than what Natalie did. Gibbons needed to hit. Then she would be able to drive Natalie to the ER. At the time, it was more important to me to get that fixed than to take my friend to the emergency room, Gibbons said. Gibbons found a vein and coerced the needle in. She pushed the plunger. Once Gibbons felt the comfort of her high, she drove off, blood dripping down her arm. She turned right from the parking lot down a steep hill. Everything went dark within seconds. Gibbons woke up in an ambulance, screaming a wretched, desperate wail. She could see her car smashed into the Duluth library and paramedics trying to revive Nat Natalie. I just knew there was going to be a lot of re repercussions for my actions, Gibbons said. Today, Gibbons works as the office administrator for Urban Peaks Rehab. The small medical office near Colfax and Park Avenues specializes in offering medication-assisted treatment, or MAT, for opioid use disorder. What sets Urban Peaks Rehab apart from other addiction treatment programs is that most of the small staff have faced opiate or opioid drug addiction. They understand what it's like to crave the drugs. They also know what it means to go through withdrawal and what life after drug use can look like. Urban Peaks Rehab's founder and medical director, Dr. Chad Johnston, shifted his practice to addiction treatment after his own fight with opioids and opiates. He started using tramadol while working in the intensive care unit just before his medical residency. I was working in the ICU and we had this guy collect the meds and usually dispose of them, Johnston said. There was often some stuff left in there and I started stealing the leftover pills. Johnston didn't realize it at the time, but he was depressed. Throughout life, his father pushed him to succeed. The pressure made everything in Johnston's life black and white, win or lose. Everything was a competition. Johnston had made most of his decision to win his father's affection. In 1999, determined to please his father, Johnston upended his life to start medical school. He was 30 years old and one of the oldest in his class. It took him years to acknowledge that his behavior was a problem. It was about two or three years ago that I realized, Johnston said, the depression was out of control because nothing I did was enough. That pressure builds in, until you find a release. For me, sadly, my release was tramadol first and later morphine. When Johnston first took the tramadol, he thought it was a risk-free high. It was marketed as a synthetic opioid that worked differently on the brain than traditional prescription pain medications. This led researchers and the Food and Drug Administration to deem it a safe alternative to stronger painkillers like Percocet and Oxycontin. With time, it became clear that tramadol became with its own baggage, and it proved to be addictive and destructive too. In 2014, the Drug Enforcement Administration labeled tramadol a Schedule IV controlled substance. I can't believe I didn't know more about opiates, Johnston said. We had no training in medical school at all. I thought tramadol was safe, or at least safer. Johnston abused tramadol throughout his residency in 2003. He would prescribe too many pills for patients and pocket the extra. In a pinch, 
he ordered them online. When Johnston began his fellowship in hospice care, he moved from tramadol to liquid morphine. It was easy to steal the bottles from patients' rooms often after they died. I really enjoyed helping people at the end of their life, but it got me all sideways, all those drugs around, Johnston said. I was so selfish then. That's what the drugs do. They make you so fucking selfish. It's a selfishness that you can't even describe. In 2010, Johnston decided he needed to get sober. That's when my wife at the time came to me and said, You know, we're in a small town. Here's the newspaper. Look at the front page. You are going to be right there, and it's going to say you're a drug addict, Johnston said. Johnston checked himself into a Florida rehab facility the following week. He doesn't remember the exact cost of the facility, but thought he spent in the neighborhood of $50,000 to $80,000. Johnston says he knows he was lucky to be able to pay such high costs when so many others can't. My wife knew I was that vain and that shallow, Johnston said. She knew what card to play to motivate me, and I applaud her for it. It was such a wonderful move because it saved my life, even if she did leave me later. Rightly so, probably. In rehab, Johnston began taking Suboxone to prevent drug cravings and avoid withdrawal symptoms. Suboxone was one of the first new MATs for opiate and opioid addiction. It's a daily treatment that can be prescribed by a doctor and taken at home. It differs from methadone, another MAT, because of its ease of use. One must generally go to a methadone treatment center daily to receive their dose. This inconvenience with methadone treatment can lead to failure and relapse, while suboxone can be taken safely outside of medical supervision. For Johnston, suboxone was a game changer. It helped him become and stay sober, but addiction had torn his life apart. He didn't work for a year, and then he tried returning to hospice care. It didn't work for him. Then the clinic testing his addiction offered him a job. He changed the focus of his life to serving individuals who battled addiction like him. Lured by Colorado's beauty, Johnston moved to Denver. He founded Urban Peaks Rehab in 2018 with a vision to create a new patient-first model for addiction treatment. Johnston appreciated what rehab had done for him, but after working in an addiction treatment clinic, he also saw how rehab was big business. According to Johnston, Higher revenues in the industry were too heavily motivated by dollars rather than care. Johnston realized that for many individuals, it was difficult to receive life-saving MAT treatment because of the costs and stigma. He heard stories about doctors putting up burdens to receive treatment. Many told Johnston that when they sought help, several medical professionals shamed them. Johnston even heard stories about patients being refused treatment because some doctors believed that if an individual got themselves into drug addiction, they had to pull themselves up by their bootstraps to get out of addiction. It makes no sense to me that providers would shame anyone who ever came into their office, but it happens all the time, Johnston said. We have these amazing treatments that make recovery easier and less painful than in the past, and individuals struggle to find someone to prescribe MATs because of the common conceptions of who an addict is and what they deserve, which is nothing. Johnston started a six-month treatment of Sublocade in 2023. Sublocade is a next-generation MAT treatment. 
approved by the FDA in 2017, Sublocade is a monthly shot in the abdomen that slowly releases buprenorphine, the same active ingredient in Suboxone. Johnston noted that the biggest difference between Sublocade and Suboxone is that Suboxone is a daily treatment taken in perpetuity. But with Sublocade, many can end treatment after six months without experiencing further cravings. Medicaid and many insurance plans cover both treatments in Colorado, and the manufacturer has copay assistance programs. Outpatient MAT is an affordable treatment option compared to lengthy in-treatment programs. Johnson knows that most can't afford the type of rehab he utilized because of the cost. He wants everyone to know that the treatment is available to almost anyone seeking recovery. Johnson also believes MAT isn't enough to help someone truly overcome their addiction. He has brought a counselor onto his team to help offer more extensive support and services to his patients. He and Gibbons want Urban Peaks Rehab to provide patients with a greater chance at overcoming addiction. The clinic has helped more than 20 people complete the sublocade regime. Today, those individuals are living successfully in recovery, unassisted by medication. Many more patients are actively in treatment and not using drugs. I see the system fail clients almost every day, Gibbons said. We have individuals who come in without a thing and don't know how to navigate Medicaid or anything else. They just know they need help and want to be sober. So I guess I'm proud that I can now help anyone apply for Medicaid and begin treatment. Applying for Medicaid wasn't a skill I ever thought I would need or develop. But if I can take down a barrier to treatment, then I am excited to have the know-how. Gibbons ultimately made it to recovery through MAT treatment at Urban Peaks Rehab. She started working at the clinic as a medical tech. Today, she manages all aspects of the office, whether marketing, providing emotional support for the patients, or billing insurance and Medicaid. Taking the next step in her recovery, Gibbons recently started therapy. She's processing a lot, like the abuse she suffered as a child, experiencing homelessness off and on, and the ghost of her years as an addict, including that day in the parking lot with her friend, Natalie. That is one of the ghosts she cannot leave behind. Natalie didn't die that day in Duluth. Paramedics revived her with naloxone, a drug to treat overdoses. But Natalie didn't seek treatment, and her luck ran out about a year later when she passed away from an overdose. It would be impossible to describe Givens as selfish today. She doesn't spend much time thinking about herself. Her focus is on giving second, third, and fourth chances to people who need help. She spends each day encouraging each patient as they go through treatment. Givens also helps clients find housing or sober living if they need it. The staff at Urban Peaks Rehab recognizes that many patients need more than medical treatment to become sober and move forward. The next two articles are from Denverite. Jane Fonda visited Elria Swansea to talk pollution and politics by Kevin Beattie. The odor of cooking dog food hung over Elria Swansea as advocates and officials gathered on Thursday at the Greenhouse Connection Center an environmentally bent community space. The smell from the nearby Purina plant has long been a symbol of heavy industry surrounding the North Denver neighborhood, a weight on residents that everyone came here to discuss. 
The occasion? Actress and activist Jane Fonda came to visit. Local stakeholders are hoping her presence will help elevate the issues they're working on and back candidates to help push their agendas forward. I was asked to speak at Colorado State University by the president, who's launching a climate and democracy initiative on campus. And so I'm doing that tomorrow, and I have a lot of friends here, and they asked me to come and be a witness to what's happening here, Fonda told us. I'm in a broader campaign to phase out fossil fuels and to protect communities from air pollution by fossil fuels in the petrochemical industry, which is happening all over the United States, and it's killing people. And I want it to end and trying to hold elected officials accountable for that. Organizers and officials took turns telling Fonda about the environmental issues facing the neighborhood. City Council member Chantel Lewis said Denver is already feeling the impacts of climate change as a whole and pointed to the city's car-centric layout as a compounding factor to the problem. She also raised one of her favorite ideas, social housing, which she said could be a venue for ultra-sustainable building standards should Denver ever try to build affordable units like that. Anna Varela and Alfonso Espino with the GES coalition, coalition also spoke about housing, specifically how gentrifying pressures have pushed longtime residents out of the underserved area. They also discussed the nearby Suncor refinery, which has logged over a dozen malfunctions in the last two months and ranks among the highest risk polluters in the metro. Beyond the Suncors, the Purinas, and all that stuff, I think the thing that's always been most impactful about growing up here was actually the tanks, Espino said. Tanks? Fonda asked. The Humvees, the artillery that's often shipped through the Pacific Railroad lines, right? I think I didn't understand the consequences of the things being produced around me. The oil behind me just to the north of us, he responded. Now that I'm older, I'm reminded that this little piece of the world that used to be El Ria, this little neighborhood I grew up in, is actually intimately tied to the freedom struggles all around the world. Former State Senator Mike Foote spoke about his efforts to curb fossil fuel development in the state particularly near communities that lack political sway to resist new wells on their own. Jessica Campbell Swanson, an Arapahoe County commissioner, spoke about her efforts to resist that development in her area, creating 3,000-foot setbacks to keep new drilling away from homes. I'm very moved by your spirit, Fonda told the group when they finished. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to come together and talk, to help me and my team understand what's happening here. Fonda made clear that electing sympathetic politicians is crucial in addressing all of these issues, and she's already put her money where her mouth is. In 2022, she founded the Jane Fonda Climate PAC, a political support organization that boasts supporting 27 environmentally-minded candidates who won elections at the federal and local levels. Council members Chantel Lewis and Sarah Peretti are on that list. Former city council members Candy Sidabaka also won Fonda's endorsement. Though she lost her re-election bid last year, she said the celebrity plug was welcome. It absolutely helped for fundraising and really mobilizing people who understood and cared about environmental issues, she told us. If someone has only watched TV in Hollywood 
and they're most familiar with someone like Jane Fonda, then she can compel them to be a part of our movement, and then we'll do what it takes to meet people where they are. As the discussion ended, Fonda plugged her interest in this area. Please let us know if there are candidates that we can support, like Chantel, she told the group. Support me, said Lucy Molina, a former candidate for Commerce City's Council, who says she plans to run again. Once they left the greenhouse, the group would board a bus to see Suncor up close and then visit Molina's home nearby. Your governor, who is, he is a moderate Democrat. He's done some good things for the environment. Where is he on this? Fonda asked before they departed. He's a billionaire, and that's where he is on this, someone yelled out. He's a friend of industry, someone else said. He's a libertarian, says a third. Environmental advocates have often been at odds with Governor Jared Polis, accusing him of siding with business over residents. While the governor's advisors say Polis is working towards a middle ground to effectively regulate industry without pushing companies out of the state, people in this room had little praise for his strategy. Where are the pressure points in government here in Denver to deal with this? Fonda asked them. Harmony Cummings, who once worked in oil and gas before she left to open the greenhouse here, said that was precisely what the meeting with Fonda was all about. It's a big reason of why I reached out to you to be here today, to help educate more people, to help amplify these stories, to tell the young people about what's really going on. Because there are absolutely people who put him up there as a climate champion and those sort of things that he is not, she said. The people who really work on this issue know the truth, and we need that truth to be out there wider. But Fonda also expressed that there should be room for pragmatism when it comes to politics. Take, for example, President Joe Biden's re-election. Having him as president, with all of his faults and his tone deafness, he provides a terrain on which we can organize and act and fight, she told the group. We have to understand, nobody is perfect. No candidate is perfect. We're not marrying him or sleeping with him. We have to hold our nose and vote for him. This Jefferson Park office building near Mile High Stadium could be turned into 12 stories of apartments by Kyle Harris. McLaughlin Enterprises is considering demolishing its four-story 1972 McLaughlin Engineers offices at 2420 Alcott Street in building a massive new apartment building, the latest proposed development expanding the city center west of I-25. The Presence Design Group has submitted concept plans to the Denver Community Planning and Development on behalf of the owner. That includes a detailed look at what might come to be on the half-acre site. Concept plans are the first step in proposing a new project and are far from a complete vision, but they do give hints about what the future could look like. The lot is just off of I-25 at 24th and Alcott Streets, adjacent to the Alcott, a luxury apartment complex. The realtor representing McLaughlin Enterprises declined to comment on the plans. The proposed building would create roughly 129,000 square feet of residential space, along with 162 units, 162 parking spaces, and a rise of 12 stories. The adjacent luxury complex, the Alcott, 
is another 12-story apartment building with open-plan living areas, luxury layouts, a swimming pool, and more, part of the ongoing expansion of central Denver. New proposals such as this one come as welcome news to those who want to see more density in the city. In recent months, the number of new large-scale residential project proposals has dropped. In part, that's because of higher interest rates and construction costs and community planning and development's reputation for slow permitting times, despite the agency's efforts to turn them around. Real estate leaders also point to changes in regulations that require developers to do more to create income-restricted housing, rules that make building more expensive. This project will not be 100% income-restricted housing, according to the plans. The following articles are from Westward. Paul Lundeen, Every Day, A Step Toward Bipartisanship and Levity at the Colorado Capitol, by Hannah Metzger. An anonymous Instagram account has posted a photo of Colorado Senate Minority Leader Paul Lundeen 20 times since the state's 2024 legislative session began last month. The picture is always the same. Lundeen climbing out of a window in the Senate chamber as he goes onto the balcony. The Colorado Springs Republican smiles at the camera with one leg raised to clear the wall separating him from the outside inexplicably bypassing the set of stairs to his right. The shot is tilted at a Dutch angle, as if to convey the disorienting state of Colorado's turbulent political atmosphere. Each day, the account, at Paul Lundeen every day, shares this photo with a countdown of how many days remain in the legislative session, along with the occasional song lyric or ode to childhood snow days, and the reason is simple, says the account's creator. There's not enough bullshit here. There needs to be something funny and relevant. I see Paul Lundeen every day, so maybe everyone should. The person behind Paul Lundeen every day is a Democratic political employee who works closely with the legislature. They ask to remain anonymous to avoid risking their employment though they don't think they're breaking any rules since they don't use state resources to manage the account and only post when off the clock. Posting the same photo every day is a popular meme on social media. One Instagram account shared the same picture of a toaster for 573 days straight, garnering over 56,000 followers. But the trend doesn't usually involve local politicians. And while the account is a joke, it's not meant to make fun of Lundeen, the creator says. As the account's bio states, it's a fan page. I like Paul Lundeen, says the creator. That man debates the bills. He debates the policy. He's up there talking about case law and shit. I respect what you're doing here, Paul. The creator didn't take the photo of Lundeen and isn't even sure where it came from, speculating it might have been sent in a capital group chat at some point. It's important that the Instagram account center on a Republican, the creator continues, calling it lame to post a Democrat every day. We hear enough about the Democrats. There are too many of them. There are 69 Democrats and 31 Republicans in the legislature, the strongest Democratic majority in over 85 years, with this party dominance, business can get done without even talking to the other side, the creator says. 
That gets down to the real goal of the account, fostering bipartisan camaraderie. We don't talk to each other enough around here, especially across the aisle, says the creator. If the Republicans can talk about the account and then our side can be like, oh my God, you guys saw that too? We have something to talk about. And isn't that a great thing? Despite its name, Paul Lundeen every day doesn't just feature Lundeen. Every Friday, the account posts a photograph of Republican Senator Perry Will to make Fridays more exciting, the creator says, calling the Capitol a life-sucking office building at its core. A retired wildlife officer from Newcastle, Will was chosen because of his memorable quotes during debates. You can fix the inside of a human by touching the outside of a horse, for example, and because he sings an extended verse of the Happy Birthday song every time the legislators sing for each other. That man is just the most legit dude I've ever come across in this building, maybe even more legit than Paul Lundeen, admits the creator, but I love both of them. 23 days in, the account has amassed several dozen followers, including two state senators, a handful of party officials, and lots of legislative staffers. But Lundin himself has not yet followed, so Westward asked him if he was familiar with the account. Ha! I was not! It looks like I'm trying to escape, Lundin replied via text. Seems silly. The account's creator, who'd only spoken with Lundin once before starting the Daily Posts, is now too nervous to approach either Lundin or Will, calling the senators my idols. But if the creator could talk to Lundin, this is what they'd say. Thank you for keeping the Senate true to its mission of slow and deliberative change regardless of the moment that this state finds itself in. And please follow my account. Wheel Deal Artist Pat Milberry shows off seven mural portals in Denver by Benito El Kelty. Even though it wasn't as exhilarating as driving off a cliff at Red Mountain Pass, Pat Milberry's bike ride through Denver was still amazing, he says. The bike ride was sunny, peaceful. I was meeting new people, Milberry says, comparing the January 31st ride around the Mile High City to the 200-foot plummet he experienced on a very snowy evening on January 12th. It was not slippery. There were no 80-mile-per-hour gusts of snow or inches of falling snow. There weren't 1,000-foot cliffs on the edge. Instead, Milbury, one of Denver's best-known muralists, took a ride on the mild side on January 31st. He was hoping to show a couple dozen Denver residents including staff from the Denver Department of Transportation and Infrastructure and RTD, the seven portals he'd painted in collaboration with Lyft. The portals are many murals on the pavement where people can park the shared bikes and scooters available across Denver. They're all painted in Milbury's signature tone of Colorado blue with touches of Lyft's trademark pink near intersections in the Central Business District Union Station, and Five Points neighborhoods. He also painted the design for the decals on the mud guards of the bike and added his Love Tap signature, a Mark Milbury uses because it's his first name spelled backwards. The bikes and scooters are an awesome form of transportation for people around the city, Milbury says. It makes sense for me to think that each one of the lift stations downtown 
should have these portals of vibrancy and connectivity. At each one of these portals, you can find access to a new adventure or a new space. The group bike ride led by Milbury included such transportation professionals as Jatsa Katri, a marketing development supervisor for RTD, and Nathan Pope, a senior city planner for DOTI.